not only is a raven known for its croaking cries and its dark feathers, it also has a very keen sense of sight, and it can even communicate to the point of speaking words like you and I do. Probably that's the reason why the raven was the first bird released from the ark to get a world view or a view of the world, a status update on what the world was like after the flood. Well, tonight we're going to get another raven's eye view of the world, and we're going to look specifically at the homeland here in the United States and Afghanistan. To help us do that, international security expert and the security analyst for WBTV Charlotte, Carl DeLaGuerre, is going to be joining us. So stick around. We'll be right back. Inspire Tees Company is a Christian-owned business that sells inspirational and Christian-themed t-shirts. Available in many sizes and colors, our tees are for men and women, and many are unisex in selection. Inspire Tees is a woman-owned and operated business as well, and Inspire Tees supports veterans, military personnel, and police. When you purchase a tee from Veterans, Military, and America category, 10% of those profits go to the Wounded Warrior Project. For more information, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Co. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the live stream. I love seeing that eye light up with the numbers next to it. And thank you for that like on Facebook for our Facebook viewer. Hey, I mean... I was able to tie it in. I was able to do it, to tie it into the Raven's Heart, what we're going to talk about tonight. Deb was asking me tonight, how are you going to tie this in? And sure enough, the Raven's got that keen eyesight and can communicate and was the first bird to get a world view, a status update on the world after the flood. Carl, it is so good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us tonight. Glenn, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your, and your viewers tonight. Thank you so much. So before we uh, take a look at the world, before we take a look at Afghanistan and Iraq, can you tell us a little bit about your background in the security industry and about KDI Protective Services, your company? Can you tell us what you do? Well, sure. Um, I actually began my career at a very early age. Uh, I went into the United States Air Force at 17 years old. So um, now I have been in the protective services industry for a total of 42 years, going on 43 years now. A uh, combination of military law enforcement, civilian law enforcement, uh, international corporate security management. Um, as you know, our primary area of expertise and throughout my career, it's been executive protection, dignitary protection. So I made it a point within my career to take two sabbaticals out, one to do a stint in uh, aviation security management and another to do a stint in hospitality security management. And both those have played hugely, especially in my international uh, work that we do. 
So um, now uh, headquartered here in the uh, in the Carolinas uh, since 2012, when I opened up um, Carl Delaguerre Inc. or KDI as we call it, uh, and uh, 2015 uh, we launched uh, KDI Protective Services. So here we are. You were telling me a little bit earlier about your work as a security analyst for WBTV and when you go different places. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what happens when you travel across the world? Well, it's been absolutely fascinating, and, and I'm, I'm so uh, honored to be accepted into that community because by profession, um, you know what I do uh, in the security world and in the law enforcement world. I'm, I'm not a journalist by trade, but uh, the folks at, at BTV have been so gracious to invite me into that, uh, into that world, and it has been a phenomenal journey and experience over the last six years. I actually began uh, by doing some consulting and uh, doing some on-air things for CBS Phoenix, um, KPHO TV in uh, in Phoenix. Uh, investigative reporter Morgan Lowe first got me into this and kind of got me bit by the uh, the TV journalism bug and kind of carried that on when I came here to uh, when I came in here to uh, Charlotte. Um, did uh, did some work for a few of the different uh, stations around here uh, until uh, BTV asked me to. Uh, uh, being exclusive uh, for uh, for CBS Charlotte, and uh, since then uh, that's been home for me. It's really interesting because I, I primarily, as you know, Glenn, cover um, incidents of uh, breaking news on terrorism, officer-involved shootings, this sort of thing. And um, traveling around the world, you do as as I do with my job. You never know when there's going to be that breaking news. And uh, I have gotten calls. It was kind of a running joke around the station. Rough four years before COVID while I was still traveling internationally that if Carl's going to be out of town, there's going to be breaking news. And uh, I have gotten calls in the middle of the night in Manila, Philippines and uh, Mexico city in Aruba. I mean, just a variety of different places where, uh, you know, the uh, breaking news has happened and, and I've needed to be there. So it's really an honor to be able to work in that, in that environment and learn a trade that is completely different from what, uh, what I do every day. <laughs> broadcasting is definitely different than the security industry. In, in broadcasting, you actually have to look decent. In security, you don't. You, you know, you can just kind of come as you are in a lot of instances. <laughs> You know, you think we run across some terrifying incidents, you know, working working in, you know, in the, in the protective services industry. But I will tell you, nothing scares me more than when I have to do live TV and those <laughs> lights are on you and um, that camera doesn't blink. You know, it's very unforgiving. And uh, so uh, there, there, that is uh, that is a definition of sheer terror when that when that <laughs> camera down goes on and there you are and. It's all you. So um, but, uh, it's something I really enjoy. You know, being a security analyst and working for a CBS affiliate, I do have to ask this question. Sure. What is the state of America going to be now that Agent Gibbs has finally left NCIS permanently? Oh, spoiler oh. alert for this. Last oh. Oh. <laughs> well, you probably get into the tabloids a lot more than a lot more than I do. So, uh, I think I think we're gonna leave that for uh, for the episodes to to show us exactly what's gonna happen. With, uh, with yes, but I'll tell you what, I mean, it is all over social media, isn't it? It is. You couldn't. I didn't even watch it yet. I've got it on uh, DVR. It's like, oh, I'll watch that this weekend, and then all of a sudden pops up. I was like, oh man, spoiler alert! So, hey, I think what it is. I am such a, a big fan of uh, of NCIS that um, I feel highly unqualified to. Uh, 
to comment on that. Thank you. <laughs> Could it be that you might be the next team leader in DC uh, at the Navy Yard? Uh, huh? you know, my schedule is booked. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so let's go ahead and paint the backdrop of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, there were some significant events that occurred and unfolded in Afghanistan. And unfortunately, in the West, we've got this thing of out of sight, out of mind. You know, it was all on the top of our minds in September when the military was withdrawing from Afghanistan and all the issues over there. Now it's kind of like, oh, now we're on to the next thing. Can you just give us a quick recap of what occurred this September, September 21 in Afghanistan? Well, there was the uh, there was the ordered withdrawal. Uh, by by our president to um, to get out of the uh, country, remove our resources, end the uh, end the uh, the war after all of these years, and um, I think it came as a surprise to many people. Uh, definitely came as a surprise to our, our allies and those that were closest with us uh, in Afghanistan. And while a a very dangerous um, uh, evacuation of the country was was taking place. Um, there was a lot of holes in it, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of concern that went around. I mean, I think you you can't talk about Afghanistan today, Glenn, w- without having a, a deep gra- a, a deep uh, feeling of gratitude and appreciation for our military members and government contractors that um, sacrificed and spent time over uh, over in the Middle East and uh, and in Afghanistan specifically. Um, it um, it was a shock, I think, to a lot of people. Um, being a veteran myself, I'm very connected within the veteran community still to this day. And um, it, it was tough. It was tough on a lot of veterans, uh, what's been transpiring since the, uh, since the end of August. You know, and we have some viewers that were born after 9-11. We have some listeners that were born after 9-11 in the United yeah. States. I mean, to you and me, it seems like that just happened yesterday. And we kind of live our lives as if it just did happen yesterday. And I think that's good for us to live that way. But a lot of people are like, that's history to them. You know, if you think about it, you know, I was in high school in the 80s that, you know, 20 years ago before I was in high school, it was the 60s and that was the Vietnam era. And it's like, oh, that's like ancient history. And young people today, they're looking back. Oh, wow. That's like ancient history. What happened in 2000 and 2001. Um, Why was it important for us 20 years ago? to get militarily involved in Afghanistan. I mean, we spent 20 years there. Why was it important for us to be there in the first place? Well, remember, it all began with the global war on terrorism. And the United States saw a, uh, a need to be over there um, to directly protect the homeland. Um, and things just kept transpiring and transpiring uh, in an effort to protect the homeland. Um, you know, the United States. And one thing kind of led to another. Uh, this became very protracted. I don't think 20 years ago, anybody would have thought we would have still been involved in the longest war in American history. Um, but, you know, unlike Vietnam, um, where today we feel very, very few, if any, repercussions of that, unfortunately, this generation is going to relive and still feel the impact of, of what happened on that that fateful day on uh, on 9-11. You know, and that's something I'd like to talk a little bit more about because we take a look at this troop withdrawal and we've seen, you know, the coalescence of terrorist organizations again that we thought were gone away, but they're kind of back again. What do you see as the security implications for the United States in the near future and projected as a result of our withdrawal from Afghanistan? How is this going to affect us 
now and in the future as a country? Well, let's let's look at something that you said, Glenn. We, we thought those terrorist groups had gone away. Uh, many of us uh, in that world, in that international world, knew that they, they had not gone away. Uh, they had gone dormant. Um, they were realigning. They were redirecting. Um, you have to look at Middle Eastern history as much different than American history. Uh, America is a very young country uh, when you look at, at world history as a whole. Um, Middle Eastern history isn't judged by 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Middle Eastern history is judged by hundreds of years. And if you have to wait two generations to you know, create what you're looking for, then so be it. And people stay focused. They might not stay vocal about it, but they stay focused on what they're their true mission is and, and what they're looking to accomplish. Um, we are very fickle in America in that sense is that, you know, if it's not impacting us right here, right now in our in our homes and our, our daily lives, well, then it's somebody else's issue. It's somebody else's problem. And you even see that uh, nowadays as, as time moves away from 9-11 to many of us, it, it's, it's a very somber, very solemn event that we remember very, very clearly. But as you said, for the generation that's coming up today, um, it's it's past history. It to them is like you said, is Vietnam to us. Um, that that importance of it, um, it lingers, you know, the, the longer time separates us. But it's, it's really interesting to see how um, the world is trying to react to this reemergence, if you will, of um, of the terror groups. Um, It's being said that um, between uh, ISIS, Al Qaeda and the Taliban, that it's almost, there's a flux in between them. Uh, I heard a a, a delegate, a former uh, diplomat from Pakistan saying the other day on TV that they were picking up people in the Middle East, you know, suspected terrorists in the Middle East that three years ago they were with ISIS and then last year they were with Al Qaeda and, you know, today they're with the Taliban. So, you really can't get a true understanding of what is going on over there without being there. Um, You can't take an American uh, model and try to put it into effect in the Middle East. It just can't be done. You know, I I think that's one of the mistakes that we made because, you know, we take a look at what we did with Japan after World War II is we took an American or Western model to Japan and it worked. Absolutely. That's what we tried to do in Iraq and that's what we tried to do in Afghanistan. But the Japanese, even before World War II, they were looking at the United States and they had a concept of capitalism. They had a concept of democracy. So it was easy to adapt that into their society. Whereas in the Middle East, I mean, they're still talking about the Mongolian invasion, you know, in, in um, Afghanistan, which happened thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's like, you know, it, in the fall of the Ottoman Empire, that is still a huge deal to them. You know, even though that happened hundreds of years ago, uh, but they talk about it today like it just happened two or three days ago. So what you're saying then, Carl, if I can recap it for our viewers and our listeners, is that we in the United States, we have a microwave mindset or a McDonald's mindset where it's hot here now and that's it. And then on to the next thing. And then in the Middle East, they're very patient. Now, let's talk about the world. I mean, because this is definitely going to have implications on us here in the United States, but there are other Western countries besides the United States that are affected by terrorism. What do you see as the effects of this on other Western countries throughout the world? Well, it's not just Western countries. You look at even Eastern countries, even China is feeling a, uh, a, a surge because of this and some very uneasiness because of this. Uh, remember, China has, I believe it's a 79 kilometer border um, with Afghanistan. 
and that is creating you know nervous tension over there but as as far as us in the west we've known for many many years that we're a target of uh of middle eastern terror uh and uh, all of our partner um countries out there are also targets as well so we're we're looking very very closely to see how quickly these previously dormant i'm not going to say disappeared because they didn't disappear but these previously dormant terror organizations, how long it's going to take them to bolster themselves up, reemerge, um, get comfortable again and move on. Um, our, our recent statement made on the uh, the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11 by some of our, uh, our U.S. intelligence folks um, said that one of the biggest concerns um, for America is going to come right from here with homegrown violent extremists. Um, you know, ISIS um, uh, created a way to to recruit terrorists, just like Al-Qaeda created a way to recruit terrorists. And that network inside of America is very alive and well today. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that 100%. And we've got a comment from Jermaine, who's uh, watching tonight. He says, good evening, gentlemen. Jermaine from Georgia, thank you for joining the discussion tonight. We're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about the world and what's going on in the world. We're getting the raven's eye view, as a matter of fact, of, of the status of the world right now. And especially of concern is what's occurred in Afghanistan and how that's going to affect not just the world, but the United States. And terrorism, I mean, when, when you take a look at terrorism and the things that have happened, it's a spread of, of evil like we've never seen before. I want to go back to ISIS. When I first started hearing of ISIS and the things that they were doing back in, <clears throat> excuse me, 2013, 2014, and seeing some of the pictures, I didn't believe it at first, uh, the, the level of brutality. Um, you know, because you and I, we remember the 1970s with the hijackings, okay, the, the airline hijackings, and it was, they'd take off, you know, there'd be some, a few people would get killed, they'd land the plane, and that'd be it. And then we fast forward to 2001, where they're actually hijacking the plane, then crashing it into a building, and then taking everybody with it. And then you take a look at everything that was going on with ISIS. Uh, that just completely blew my mind. It took me a little while to grasp my mind around what they were doing and what was going on there. I did not believe it at first. So, you know, taking a look at all these things that have occurred, you know, tactics of terrorism in the past and how it's progressed, what do you see the tactics that are, what are they going to look like as we move forward now post-September 2021? Are they going to look the same as before or are they going to change? And do you think we're going to see something to the scale of 9-11 ever again in the United States or another country? Terror, terror in, in and of itself, the, the violent component of it continues to become, <clears throat> excuse me, continues to become more and more grotesque. Um, America has not experienced any type of level of terror like they've experienced in other parts of the world. Um, the, the, uh, the, the Middle East, um, Africa, um, riddled with terror events, unlike anything that we have seen here. Um, I'll give you a personal example. I was called on assignment to Istanbul, Turkey, after the uh, the Blue Mosque bombings over there. A few weeks after I left Istanbul, uh, active shooter went into one of the nightclubs, which I happened to be uh, detailed at, and uh, killed 34 people on the dance floor. Um, just horrific pictures coming back from that. Um, mosques that are walked into by um, by uh, active shooters, and um, everybody heard it over in the corner screaming as they are just slaughtered. Um, mass slaughter is not something that we're used to seeing here on the street level. 
Um, so terrorism, as we look at it um, maturing overseas, is becoming more and more violent. We still believe that here in the United States, it's going to be small arms and IEDs are still going to be the, the weapon of choice. But as technology improves, we're going to see that advancement of technology into this. We're already seeing drones being used in targeted hits, assassinations, mass attacks uh, overseas. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we are so keen on on keeping our eye on terrorism overseas because what we see happen overseas comes to the United States eventually. And that's what we're being very careful of and, and watching very closely. So then what you're saying, it's very important for us and everybody who's watching and listening to the replay of this to keep their eyes on what's going on overseas to protect themselves and to be ready for what's going to come on, come here to the United States. Is that correct? I will tell you from experience, what happens overseas um, with the bad guys ends up coming here to the United States. It absolutely does. There's no question about it. It's well documented. Yeah. So, you know, it's been kind of quiet um, since we withdrew from Afghanistan uh, just, just, just a month ago. How long do you think it's going to take us to see the effects of these terror groups re regrouping, basically, they, they just didn't disappear, as you said, regrouping and carrying out attacks that they're planning and using Afghanistan really as a safe haven to do so. When do you think we would start seeing, and I would hope the answer would be ne never, but we know that's probably not true. When will we start seeing the effects of that, do you think, in the United States or in other parts of the world? There is an estimate that it's going to take between a year to two years for these groups to regain um, position uh, and, and regain a, a strategic uh, stronghold uh, internationally. Um, but uh, you, you say it's quiet, I, and I believe that's probably in the sense that there hasn't been any overt attacks. Uh, it's been anything but quiet in watching these groups um, form, in watching these groups recreate, in watching the network, watching the the flow of information from these groups. Um, they, they are absolutely in the process of, of a reemergence right now, without a doubt. Something else I want to ask you about, um, and I'm very curious about this, as we were seeing the withdrawal in Afghanistan back in September, we started to learn of this new group called ISIS-K. Um, you know, is this like the Delta variant of the coronavirus, just another form of the same thing with, with some different tentacles on it? What is ISIS-K and how do, how do they differ from the ISIS of 2013 to 2014? Refined terrorism. I believe that's how I would refer to ISIS-K. Um, uh, if you're wondering what the K is, it actually stands for a province in Afghanistan called the Khorasan Peninsula. Um, and that's where it comes from. Uh, that's the ISIS-K, an offshoot of ISIS, idealistic beliefs similar to ISIS. However, a refined version that even makes ISIS members gasp at the violence and the commitment that they have uh, toward, toward their mission. Uh, and uh, two sworn enemies of ISIS-K, interestingly, even though we're, we're polar opposites of each other, is the Taliban and the United States. Wow. Okay. So I have to ask this question because we're talking about all these different terrorism groups and terrorism in general. And when it comes to these foreign terrorist organizations in the Middle East, and I want to focus in on the Middle Eastern terrorist organizations, why are they doing this? What is what is the end game of a Middle Eastern foreign terrorist organization? What are they trying to accomplish by doing this? 
reestablishment of the caliphate. A, a, uh, as you look at global history, and you're a student of, of global history as well, um, there, there has been rise and falls of Christianity and, and Islam throughout yes. history. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form attaching religion to terrorism. Uh, I'm not. Terrorism is just pure evil. It's acts of criminality. has nothing to do with religion whatsoever. Um, you know, a, a lot of Muslims get killed, a, a disproportionate number of Muslims get killed by Middle Eastern terrorist organizations. You, you can't tell me it has something to do with, with religion. It's just straight pure evil, just criminal acts that are, that are out there. Um, but we, we see this emergence and um, it, it's getting darn right scary. Uh, what they're willing to do. Um, they, they realize that they have to take a bigger step than the folks before them. And they're very, very cognizant uh, about that. But uh, truly, if you, if you speak to, to, uh, to a lot of people that are in that, that mindset, um, it's reestablishment of the caliphate. That's what their end game is. Yeah. For my study of extremist Islam is what they believe is that by bringing back the caliphate, it will bring the end times, that by their terror and by what they do and by warfare, that's what that will do is it will bring back, it will, it will initiate the end times um, from what I've studied on that. And we have to remember, too, that there's not just foreign terrorist organizations, but there's also homegrown violent extremists. There's domestic terror organizations. And basically what it boils down to is, is criminality you know, is, is what it is. They are, they are committing criminal acts that, that acts against people, acts against property. And those are all things that we have to remember. And that is, that's just not in the Middle East. And you're right. It's not just assigned to a particular religious sect. It has to do with, you know, basically it has to do with a, um, governmental goal really in a lot of ways um the way that they the, the way that they want to live or the way that they want to see things done and we we even have terrorists that just want anarchy you know they, they're not looking to reestablish any other type of thing and that's kind of mind-blowing it's like yeah we're just going to blow things up to cause anarchy you know like that's really going to help anything and, and you can radicalize anything um i remember uh, many years ago in, in texas and in, in my home state there was a, a football let me talk about radicalization here. There was a football team that wanted to win the homecoming game so bad. And, and you know, being, being from Texas, I mean, there's nothing more holy than Texas high school football. You know, it's <laughs> one of those things. You know, it's a religion of unto itself, right? I say that jokingly. But um, there was a high school football team that wanted to win the Super Bowl or, or I'm sorry, their homecoming game so bad that they begin to go out and hurt uh, the opposing players, break knees, smash windows, burn cars. Um, that's a radicalization of Texas high school football. This happened many years ago, but I mean, if you can radicalize something like that, you can radicalize anything. It just takes a spark and people of a like-minded belief. And I will tell you what, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter what your ideas are, if you are loud enough about them and get them out there to the public enough, you are going to find somebody out there that believes you that will drink your Kool-Aid, whatever it happens to be. And we've seen that in, in, in uh, events all over the world. Uh, we're literally drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, that, yeah. that poisoned a lot of people. Um, but, you know, if you find those like-minded people that are willing to be radicalized, 
the those in poverty, those that are being disenfranchised. Uh, we're never going to get rid of poverty. We're never going to get rid of disenfranchisement. Um, if, if it didn't have to do with disenfranchisement, then you wouldn't have seen flocks of people going over when ISIS started that were doctors and lawyers and engineers and, and all of these high profile positions flocking to ISIS. Um, it was because they shared a radical belief. Yeah. Some of it didn't make any sense of who was going over to join ISIS at the time that it was going on. Uh, you had professionals. Um, you had the ISIS wives, the, the young ladies that were looking for love and adventure. I mean, it's just just absolutely crazy. we got a couple comments coming in uh, for you, Carl. First, the rugged American flag company. The question is, does the U.S. look weak to these groups? And do these groups feed on their perception of how they view America? Does the U.S. look weak? I don't think that anyone overseas would say that that we are weak. We have the, the mightiest army in the world. What they see is that America is in flux. And when America is in flux, when, when sand is shaking on a table, it begins to become or perceived to be porous. Um, so I would say that absolutely the world sees America in flux right now on a variety of different fronts. Um, I don't know if weak is necessarily the word, but I would definitely say it's in flux. Do they see something different going on here right now? They absolutely do. And I will tell you, when there is discord within the American people, um, bad guys pounce on it. They always have. And you, you can look back 100, 150, 200 years and, and see that in our history. So they see that as an opportunity then. Anytime there's a flux in anything, there's always an opportunity. Absolutely. Um, you know, when the sheepdog looks away, uh, the wolf sees an opportunity to, uh, to ingress. We've got another comment. This is for Jermaine. He says, radical movements can be toxic if not kept in check. But that's so true. Everything has to be. There's a balance. You know, they're, they're, we're supposed to live balanced lives. That's really what it comes down to. And, you know, I, I do have to say this. I really like, I can't remember if it's in the Psalms or Proverbs. I didn't look this up, but I'm just shooting this off the top of my head. It's, it says, never, don't veer to the right. Stay on the straight, you know, stay on the straight path and don't veer to the right. And really just staying, you know, centered, balanced, you know, and, and that is so very important because, you know, it's anybody can become, you know, radicalized it's it's something that can happen if you take things to to an extreme that it's not supposed to be taken to we're talking about situational awareness and you know what does this all have to do with us what does this have to do with the average citizen carl from your experience what can the average listener or viewer do in and of themselves to protect themselves their families and their communities from both international as well as domestic terrorism so one of the things that I, I tell folks, and, and this applies to anyone everywhere in the world, you know, we, we get this bombardment of media 24-7. And, you know, this concern of, oh, my gosh, this is happening in this country. That's happening in this country. This is happening on the East Coast or the West Coast or whatever it happens to be. My advice, stay focused on what you can control. Stay focused on what you're responsible for. It's very difficult if you happen to be, say, in Charlotte, North Carolina, to have any impact on anything that's going on in Los Angeles. But you have your home, where you work, and your community. 
that you can have an immediate impact on every single day. And it begins with protecting you, protecting your family. And you ask what somebody can do to, to benefit that, to help that. And, and I have one answer. Listen to your gut instinct. It's something that has come up in us and evolved with us as, as human beings, as, as homo sapiens that we are. It's evolved over millions of years with us. And it's a gift that we have um, to be able to sense when something's not right. And no one knows your home better than you. No one knows your office better than you. No one knows your route to work better than you. And if everyone just will take that opportunity to look out for what is their responsibility, be responsible for what is yours, the world would be a lot safer place than it is right now. But listen to that gut instinct. If you feel that something isn't right, listen to that. Listen to it. I've noticed that a lot of people get the second guessing with that gut instinct. They, they yeah. suppress that and they put that down. And I know that um, Homeland Security, DHS, was running the If You See Something, Say Something campaign for a good while. And it, it still exists, but it's not as prevalent as it was in the early to mid-2000s. And you would have a lot of people that would see things that didn't look quite right, but they were afraid to say something. They would suppress that. And I would call it the Bigfoot syndrome, where they were afraid to say something because they thought they would look foolish, like they had seen Bigfoot if they saw something or that they were being paranoid. Um, what's the best way to overcome that fear, Carl? What's the best way to listen to your gut? Coming out of a law enforcement background, I will tell you, there is not a single police officer in the world who wouldn't rather respond to 10, 15, 20 suspicious calls than not get that call for that one that's going to cost one or more lives. Um, we have to understand that no one knows, like I said, I'm gonna repeat myself here, no one knows your area better than you. And if you have a gut feeling that something isn't right, people are going to listen to you. Don't just brush it off to the side. Uh, if you feel something isn't right, stick by your guns, make the, make the phone call to 911, report it and get it checked out. Um, you, you might be incorrect, but something about what you saw, uh, what your mind registered that your eyes saw wasn't right, so get it checked out. Um, so many times you hear after action reports of everything from uh, home, home invasions to active shooter situations to even terrorist events. So many times you hear in the after action report, you know, I just, I knew that something wasn't right. I, I, I just didn't know what to say. I, every single time, um, there's those what we call pre-attack indicators that are out there. Um, you know, as we say, it's, it's even doctrinal. No terrorist act occurs without prior surveillance. That's talking mm -hmm. about the terrorist side. But just look at, at what happens in, a, in a, a residential burglary. I mean, people case neighborhoods. People look at neighborhoods. They look at areas to break into. Um, and you, you have to go with that gun instinct of, hey, I, I live here or I work here or I drive down the street every day. Something here isn't right. Call it in. You know, yeah. we, we have to get better at that as a, as a society. Remember, uh, crime, criminals and in crime is like water. 
it's going to take the path of least resistance. And I say that because a lot of people say, hey, Carl, how safe do I need to make my house? And I tell people, well, you don't need to make your house the safest home in, in the state. You know, you need to make your house safer than two things, the house to the right of you and the house to the left of you. <laughs> That's how safe you need to make your home because criminals will flow like water. They're going to take that path of least resistance. And if you have lighting, if you have a dog, if you have your shrubs cut below, below um, window level, um, if you have all of these things that go along with good crime prevention in your residence, um, then the criminal is going to see that. They're going to acknowledge that. Um, and not everybody's home is going to be that well protected. Those are the homes that are going to get struck. You know, when you talk about crime prevention in a home, I think one of the cutest things I ever heard, I was doing a home security survey for an elderly lady. She was in her 90s. And when I arrived, I had assumed that there was someone else there because sitting outside of the door of her modest little home was a pair of size 14 dirty work boots. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, is it a son? Is it a relative? She's like, no, I got them at the thrift store and I put them out there, but hardly anybody knocks on my door. And I was like, well, I can absolutely understand why with a size 14 pair of dirty work boots sitting out front. I don't want to be the one running into that guy inside your home. So <laughs> kudos to you, ma'am, you know? So. <laughs> So let's talk about churches for a minute, because a lot of our viewers and our listeners, they're very involved in their church communities. Um, KDI Protective Services offers services to churches. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do as a company for church communities? Well, certainly. We, we began um, back in 2012 we, when we incorporated KDI. We began offering consulting services to, uh, to church groups. Uh, didn't matter what, what denomination they were. Um, we would go out and, and we, would, we would do security surveys. We would talk to congregations and things like this. And it caught on. Uh, within the ecumenical um, groups in in South Carolina, to where we now service several churches um, and put security teams in several churches uh, throughout the state of South Carolina, and um, it's it's particular here in, in South Carolina because of how the laws are written. They're very unique when it comes to private security in the state of South Carolina. Um, but several companies around the United States do this, where they have select services for church organizations. It just happens to work very, very well for us here in South Carolina because of how the laws are written. So several churches, we have uniform or excuse me, plain clothes armed security officers uh, at every event uh, the several churches have. They even travel with ministry groups when they go throughout the state and such. But um, kudos to those those churches that have reached out and said, hey, we need to do something proactive here uh, to be able to protect our, our congregations. When we talk about churches or houses of worship in general, oftentimes in the security industry, those are referred to as soft targets. Yes. Can you share with our viewers and listeners what a soft target is and what the characteristics are of a soft target? 
Sure. Well, to do that, let's look at what a hard target is and let's look at what a soft target is. A hard target is any physical location which would be very, very difficult for criminals to penetrate. What are some of those? Well, first one that comes to mind, military bases, nuclear facilities, police stations, fire stations, those type of things that, that are, are heavily reinforced, that have a lot of people there, trained people 24 hours a day. That's considered a hard target. Now, and as opposed to that, let's look at what we mean by soft targets. Soft targets are generally anywhere where you have porous access into the facility and where you have large mass gatherings of individuals. So what comes to mind there? Uh, churches, uh, stadiums, um, office buildings that are very open for people to come into. Those type of things are considered soft targets. Even gatherings uh, at parks, large gatherings at parks, large gatherings at outdoor um, arenas and things like this. Those are soft targets and churches absolutely qualify as a soft target because by the nature of being a house of worship, you are welcoming to the community. Uh, and just by nature of, of a church being a house of worship, being of that nature, they automatically go into the category of being a soft target. So they do require a very, very specialized type of security to be able to allow that house of worship to meet their community mission, but also to be able to protect the flock. So without giving away all the goods of KDI in one live stream and one podcast, what is the simplest thing that you would recommend for a church to do? Just the simplest thing that they can do without any major changes in infrastructure or major expenditures to increase their security. Every house of worship I have been to has ushers, greeters, someone that works the entrances to the, to the house of worship. Educate those individuals that are on your front line at your front door, whether they be a greeter, an usher, whatever role that they might have, your, your, church staff, if you will, needs to be educated in some sort of crime prevention methodology and recognizing criminal behavior. That's a great start right there, and it costs nothing. Um, so many uh, houses of worship out there have uh, safety teams, uh, just volunteer groups that have come together to say, we want to do what we can to protect. Uh, that is the spark that any church needs to be able to reach out to an organization like KDI and say, we have volunteers, we have an interest, where do we take it from there? We have never, ever turned down any house of worship that has said, please come and talk to us. And we've traveled all over the United States uh, that have asked, come and talk to us about what we can do how we can help protect ourselves. Um, it, it all begins with a spark of someone saying, let's do something to make us safe. Would you say it's just important for a large church to start thinking security wise as it is for a small church or a small church as a large church? Each, each house of worship needs to look at their own due diligence. And if you are a pastor, minister, a priest, a, 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 um, an organ, a religious organization that is going to welcome one or more people onto your property, into your facility, um, then you need to understand that there is what's called a duty of care 
for anyone that you welcome in to your facility. That duty of care needs to be taken very, very seriously. Um, anytime that you bring anybody in, I, let me ask you, if, if you invite people over to your house, don't you feel a inherent responsibility to make sure that they're safe and they're taken care of and your doors are locked and, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, you, you just feel that inherent duty of care for them. That holds true with any organization that is going religious or otherwise, that is going to invite individuals to come in for their purpose to that organization. You know, it's interesting when you say that, because what comes to my mind is the gift of hospitality. You know, that's something that the scripture talks about is being given to hospitality. And oftentimes we think of that as, you know, being nice to your guests, making them feel comfortable and, you know, maybe offering them some cheese and crackers and a a glass of wine or something like that. But really what it boils down to also is making them feel safe at where they're at and their safety and being concerned about their soul, the safety of their soul while while they're under your roof or under your care. Never thought about it that way. Thank you for bringing that up, Carl. Carl, can you stand by for just a moment? We've got a couple of cool announcements we need to make, and we will be right back. Um, Next week, we are going to be returning with um, some music updates. We are going to be making announcements starting next week concerning Get Revelation Rock Fest 2022. We're really excited about that. We're going to be announcing the dates and we're going to be announcing the bands as well. Also, too, if you're enjoying this podcast and this this live stream, you can go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, Also, uh, you can catch us on Podbean, patron.podbean.com slash lithoscry. If you'd like to help support support the cause here, you can do so. We've got some really cool stuff to offer our patrons. Uh, We've got, let me roll the reel here. We've got coffee mugs, got the Lithos Cry coffee mug. We also got some, the uh, Stones That Cry God's Precious Metal Book, and we've got some really cool t-shirts available as well for those that decide to support us on a monthly basis. So we're really excited about that. So we've got a lot of cool things coming up. We're going to be back at 8 p.m. next week, next Thursday night, with announcements concerning Get Revelation Rock Fest. And Carl, while I've got you with us, you helped keep Get Revelation Rock Fest 2021 secure. And you'll be back with us again for 2022. I, I don't think you knew what was what it was going to be like until you got there. What what were your thoughts, and what are your thoughts about what happened at Rockfest 2021? As soon as I walked into your event, it goes right back to what we were just talking about. As soon as I walked into your event, I felt the hospitality there. But isn't the foundation of hospitality safety? If you can't keep people secure and safe. What's the purpose of being hospitable uh, in, a, in a group setting? So I loved going in there and feeling that hospitality, feeling that brotherhood and sisterhood that, that was going on in the group. And, and everybody was expressing themselves through music. So it, it really had the, the best of all worlds you know, combined there. Uh, and the fact that the people were so comfortable and so at ease, uh, and the fact that they came up to our team and, and were thanking us all throughout the day and, and evening, thank you so much for being here. We really understand why you're here. We appreciate the fact that, that you're here. Um, it was a phenomenal event. I highly encourage everybody to come out. Um, you've got a beautiful venue uh, down there for it. Um, yeah, great event, really great, and amazing music. 
it was, and it's going to be even better this year. We're really excited wow. about the bands that we've got lined up. I can't let the cat out of the bag yet, but we're going to save that for next Thursday night at 8 p.m. So we're really excited about that. Carl, um, for our viewers and listeners that would like to reach out to KDI for assistance with their church communities or maybe even their business or um, other areas that they work, how can they reach out to you and get in touch with you for assistance? So KDI does um, international consulting and international training. But in the state of South Carolina, we are also operational in the corporate security and executive protection arenas. Uh, but we do have an international um, uh, focus out there from a training and consulting perspective. If you need to get hold of us, start out with our website, teamkdi.com. Begin with that. And uh, also, let me throw out a, a phone number for you. 704-607-8762. Be able to get hold of our teams, learn a little bit more about us, um, questions, comments, anything you might have when it comes to, uh, to safety and security. Take advantage of our experience. We have some very, very talented individuals that come from federal, state, local law enforcement, uh, international security operations, uh, just a variety of, a, of, a, uh, of walks of life. And uh, of, above everything else, we're really, really happy to help people just stay safe. Carl, I really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. And I, I just kind of want to tie the nexus in again for everybody because it's like, you know, oh, wow, we've got a, uh, a, a security correspondent from, you know, WBTV in Charlotte on the Ravens Heart live stream. I, I think I think we just went up even another notch now. Now, people are probably wondering, you know, are we going to be adding a sports desk and a traffic chopper? Well, if it fits into what we're doing, maybe we will we'll have the Rockfest traffic chopper. How about that? You know, um, to, to give the traffic updates on how to get in and through the gates. But, um, you know, really the nexus here, and, and this is what I want to tie into everybody. This is a, you know, we, we focus a lot on heavy metal music, hard rock music, different types of music, but really this is a prophetic arts podcast. And one of the jobs of the prophet is to have his eyes open and aware of what is going on. A lot of times when we think about the prophetic realm, we just think of those downloads that we get from God and then go for it. But now it's taking the pieces of the puzzle of what's going on around you, putting it together sometimes and seeing the big picture. And that's, that's what we're doing. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this live stream is that the raven, wonderful, wonderful animal, very mysterious creature, I can't believe those things actually talk like we do and, and can say words, but they have a very keen eyesight uh, and they have a very high IQ level for a bird. They're not a bird brain. So, you know, very interesting. Take a look at that in scripture. And that's what we're doing here is we are looking at the world. We're taking a look at the situation of what's going on and how that's going to affect us. Because here in the United States, as Carl was saying, we are very fickle in our mindset. You know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan is kind of out of sight, out of mind now. Now we're worried if we're going to get our Christmas presents off the shelf at the stores because of, you know, shortages in stores, you know, but this is going to be something that comes back around. Carl, do you have any last things that you'd like to share with our viewers and our listeners before we depart for the evening? We, we all owe a great debt of gratitude to those who both watch inside our country and outside our country for any threats coming our way. Um, there are so many uh, incidents that get caught in the 11th hour um, that could be devastating to, to America, to our interests overseas. And God bless those first responders, 
military members that are out there as the Sentinels 24 hours a day uh, protecting what matters to us, our families, our homes, our loved ones. Absolutely. I agree with that. Everybody, thank you for joining us this evening for this special edition situational awareness update of Raven's Heart. Again, we'll be back next week at 8 p.m. And until next week, people, peace out and rock on. And guess what? Stay alert. Lithoscry.com.